Hello and welcome to Watch It Baptist Church Online. My name's Mike. I'm the pastor at Watch It Baptist Church. It's great to have you with us. We're looking in the third, for the third time at the subject of worry and we're looking at a different perspective on that today than the last two times that we have done. We're going to be looking mostly at a passage from Ecclesiastes uh, which um, may come across not quite as joyous as some other bits of the Bible do but my hope is that it will be really helpful for us as we consider this and uh, that we continue to build a perspective on worry that is in tune with what the Bible reveals to us about God's character and his heart. So let's commit ourselves to this session through prayer just now. Lord Jesus we depend on you and on the way you reveal yourself to us. We thank you for your Holy Spirit which enables us to read and understand. We thank you for the scriptures, your revelation of yourself to us through which we understand so much of who you are and what your priorities are. And we pray that in this time, uh, in these moments, that we will breathe in more of what it means to not worry. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, we're going to launch right in with this passage. We're reading from Ecclesiastes 11, verse 7, all the way through to chapter 12, verse 5. And it says this, Light is sweet. How pleasant to see a new day dawning. When people live to be very old, let them rejoice in every day of life, but let them also remember there will be many dark days. Everything still to come is meaningless. Young people, it's wonderful to be young. Enjoy every minute of it. Do everything you want to do. Take it all in. But remember that you must give an account to God for everything you do. So refuse to worry and keep your body healthy. But remember that youth with the whole life before you is meaningless. That's the end of chapter 11. I just want to just insert a little moment here. Uh, a reminder that when we see the word meaningless used here, uh, perhaps a better or just in some ways more useful uh translation of the Hebrew word is something more like vapor than meaningless. It's, it's something that comes and goes rather than having no purpose or meaning. Let's continue. Don't let the excitement of youth cause you to forget your creator. Honor him in your youth before you grow old and say life is not pleasant anymore. Remember him before the light of the sun, moon and stars is dim to your old eyes and rain clouds continually darken your sky. Remember him before your legs, the guards of your house, start to tremble, and before your shoulders, the strong men stoop. Remember him before your teeth, your few remaining servants, stop grinding, and before your eyes, the women looking through the windows, see dimly. Remember him before the door to life's opportunities is closed and the sound of work fades. Now you rise at the first chirping of the birds, but then all their sounds will grow faint. Remember him before you become fearful of falling and worry about danger in the streets, before your hair turns white like an almond tree in bloom and you drag along without energy like a dying grasshopper and the caperberry no longer inspires sexual desire. Remember him before you near the grave, your everlasting home, when the mourners will weep at your funeral. What a cheerful passage that is! In reality, one of the things that Ecclesiastes is best at doing is acknowledging the reality of what life is actually like. Other parts of the Bible can give us, uh, give us the impression that the writers of the Bible don't necessarily understand what life's day-to-day -day experience is really, uh, what it's really like, how we really get on with it, how we find it frustrating or disappointing or whatever it might be. 
But in Ecclesiastes, we have real clarity about this. So just in the middle of that passage, there was a section where there various different parts of the body were recognised as things that give up or stop working properly. Legs, shoulders, teeth uh, and eyes. And then just a few moments later, that sense that you can enjoy the chirping birds in the morning now, but wait until you're old and you won't be able to hear a thing. It's honest. It's genuine. And in some ways, it then it makes it an indispensable guide to how to respond to some of those ordinary challenges of just doing ordinary life. Remember that earlier on in the passage, it said, young people, it's wonderful to be young. Enjoy every minute of it. Do everything you want to do and take it all in. But remember that you must give an account to God for everything you do. So refuse to worry and keep your body healthy. It can be easy to read Ecclesiastes and feel like there are moments when it's telling us to cast off any limitations, to, to ignore sort of good behaviour and good moral standards. I think that's not true. And I think there are moments like that that we've just looked at that remind us that it's not true. But remember that you must give an account to God for everything you do. So refuse to worry and keep your body healthy. There is a, a pleading here from the writer, a guy called Kohelet, who writes as if he's borrowing Solomon's voice. Um, Solomon, who was king after David. There's, a, there's an attitude here that says, there's no point in worrying, actually. Seize the day, but seize it in a way that reflects the priorities of God. Honour God in how you live, but grab hold of the opportunities that come with your ordinary life. Make the most of the chances. It's kind of carpe diem, but with God. So we have this do not worry uh, in verse 10. So refuse to worry and keep your body healthy. But remember that youth with a whole life before you is vapour or gone in a moment. And then a bit later, remember God, before you become fearful of falling and worry about danger in the streets, that's considered to be genuinely a comment on traffic. So narrow streets in ancient Near Eastern cities, full of crammed in with carts and horses and things, and, and perhaps slightly doddery older people feeling that's not a very safe place to be. Different kind of traffic, same concern as, as we have ourselves. So before you become fearful of falling and worry about danger in the streets. So remember God before you worry. Remember God before you become fearful. Remember God. We're going to skip into Isaiah 41 at this point then, just for one verse, verse 10, which says this. Don't be afraid, for I am with you. Don't be discouraged, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will hold you up with my victorious right hand. Now this verse doesn't mention worry specifically, but it does tackle that same sense of perhaps being fearful, not being certain, being concerned about what is to come and what might be on the way, the dangers that might be rushing up to meet us. Some that we can see and some that we can't see. And here God says, don't be afraid for I am with you. But there are lots of variations on don't don't worry or or fear not in the Bible. There's a there's a, a story that there are 365 different ways in which don't worry or fear not or whatever it might be come up in the Bible. I struggle to verify that. If I'd have found one or two places where it says it's actually not true, but there are hundreds of references to not fearing or being worried. So not as many references to love, and perhaps it's worth remembering that rather than do not fear, God's main message is love and. and 
the fact that he loves us means that we have a good reason not to fear, but let's not get sidetracked by that. The Father, you see, gets it. Our God, our Father, the one who is in heaven, understands that we're going to need reassurances. Reassurances that we're loved and reassurances not to worry. Reassurances not to be afraid. And so he provides these reassurances. So every time we see this idea of not worrying, an instruction often, do not worry, it's important that we don't misread how that instruction is framed. It's not the case that God is saying, if you worry, I'll be cross with you. That isn't how he's working. He's providing a reassurance. You might have come across people in the past who told you that to worry is to sin. And I definitely think that worry is something that God thinks we don't need to do and, and would rather that we didn't do and he would choose for us to be worry-free. But I don't think it triggers an anger in him that makes him want to lash out or be cross. He sees us being frightened or worried and wants to provide us with a reassurance, with a sense of calm that comes with a confidence in him and his presence. So the Bible's many variations on do not worry are really important and really helpful. Remember God before you worry, says Ecclesiastes. It's important that we put that the right way round, isn't it? And, and for me at least, very often, worry comes really quickly. And actually quite often I find myself noticing that I'm worrying about several things before I've even identified that's what's going on in my head. So is this passage suggesting that we have got it wrong if we worry and then realise afterwards that we don't need to? No, I don't think so. I think instead what the writer of Ecclesiastes, this guy Kehelet, is saying is that if you put not if you, if you put God ahead of worry, if you prioritise God over worry, things make a lot more sense. Things are a lot less scary. Things are a lot less frightening. And I think when it comes down to it, this is about having the right lens. I use my glasses all the time to make sure I can read things. You see me using it to check my notes and to read the scriptures. I'm just going to read this one from Proverbs next. This is Proverbs 3. It says this, My child, don't lose sight of common sense and discernment. Hang on to them, for they will refresh your soul. They are like jewels on a necklace. They will keep you safe on your way and your feet will not stumble. You can go to bed without fear. You will lie down and sleep soundly. You need not be afraid of sudden disaster or the destruction that comes upon the wicked, for the Lord is your security. He will keep your foot from being caught in a trap. The Lord is our security. So it's not about having to think things in the right order. That's a really Pharisee way of seeing things. And we know how God felt, how Jesus felt about the way the Pharisees interpreted scripture. It's a very, very Pharisee way of saying, you must say, you must think the right things in the right order or you have done a bad thing. Instead, we're told that if we can put God first, we can allow our God thinking to take a higher priority than our worry thinking, then a whole load of other things make a lot more sense and are easier to deal with and to tackle. But I said about lenses, didn't I? And I think this is what we're really thinking about. If I take my glasses off, my vision of my notes is really blurry. I can't see them very well. I have to hold them quite a long way away. If I'm in a supermarket looking at ingredients, very often I hold them a long, long way away and I still can't see them because they're written in small print. My eyes need the right lens in order to be able to see things clearly. And I think this is what the writer of Ecclesiastes, Kehelet, is saying. I think it's also something of what 
God is speaking through Isaiah, and I think it's what the writer of Proverbs is saying as well. That actually, if we get the lens right, if we, if we bring in front of our perspective the lens of God's view, of God's love, and of God's security, then actually everything else stops being blurry and starts being readable. We can see it for what it is. We can see it for what it actually is saying and not just what we assume it probably is saying or what we worry it might be saying. And the lens that we put on when we look at things that we might worry about, the lens that we put on is the presence of God. Don't be afraid for I am with you, it says in Isaiah. He is present. God is present. God is actually in the room and alongside. I will hold you up with my victorious right hand. So not just being with, but actually supporting. I will hold you up. But perhaps something like um, when I haven't got my glasses on and I can't see so well, or maybe if it's dark, I can't judge the steps in front of me. I'm given to understand that people with very focals uh, in, their, in their lenses, in their glasses, sometimes struggle walking on a, uneven paths because the bit of their glasses that helps them see the right distance away is up here, not down here. And so they have to do this, kind of look, perching, peering through the top of their glasses while looking down. The right lens in the right place will help us not to feel tentative. Maybe we will end up feeling cautious, but appropriately with the security that God brings. Back to Proverbs 3. You need not be afraid of sudden disaster or the destruction that comes upon the wicked, for the Lord is your security. He will keep your foot from being caught in a trap. The Lord is your security. Can there be anything more secure than God's presence? The Lord is your security. Remember him, says Kehelet. Before the light of the sun, moon and stars is dim to your old eyes, remember him before you become fearful of falling and worry about danger. There are so many reasons to feel worried or frightened and they mess with our ability to see God's perspective on what's right in front of us. So we need the lens of God's security to help us not to worry. Helen Howarth Lemmel in 1922 uh, published uh, a famous hymn called Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus and it includes this lyric. Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. I'm sure many people have found reassurance from that in many different ways. For me, as I was preparing, looking at this kind of worry, that hymn stuck out because of that sense of perspective. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Put the lens of Jesus' presence before your eyes. You will see him and you will see a much more secure and assured perspective on whatever it is that you're facing. Mark Twain said this, I am an old man and have known a great many troubles, but most of them have never happened. How amazing it is when we look back sometimes and see all the things that we worried about that never actually became a problem. God is able to provide us with a lens on the future and the present, sometimes the past, that help us see that worry doesn't have a place 
if God has a place in our hearts and minds. With him, worry doesn't have a foundation because that foundation is him. And if we're standing on the promises of God and on his character, his goodness, the way he's revealed himself to us, yes, challenging things are going to happen. Things we don't want to happen will happen anyway. Things that knock us sideways or take the rug out from under us, will all, they will all keep going. As the writer of Ecclesiastes is quick to point out, bad things do happen, even to good people. But it's not about saying how can we avoid the bad things it's about saying when we're in that situation when things are tough what are the lenses that we're wearing what are we looking at our situation through what is our security let's pray lord jesus we bring to you the fact that we worry and the need for us to have an answer an antidote sometimes or a or a way of sidestepping the kind of feelings that we have and the ways that we have looking at the world that mean that our shoulders are, are hunched and our bodies are tense. And we need you to be that answer. And we pray that you will keep reminding us of the lens that we can put before our eyes, the lens of your presence and of your goodness and of your love that help us not to fear. We ask for this, for all of your goodness. In the name of Jesus, whose kingdom will come. Amen. Okay, here's three questions for us as we finish this session. Question one, what worries blur your vision of God? By that, I mean worries about what kinds of things. What, what kind of things do you worry about that means that actually the lens of God is, is harder to find or to look through? What are your big worries that mess with that. And so question two, how does worry have an impact on the life of the local church? How does worry change the way that the local church does things or the attitude it takes to its day-to-day -day existence? How does worry affect how the church is? Question three, think of those who you love or who you long would come to know Jesus. Think of the actual people, one or two or three, and what they're like. And then ask this, what do they worry about? It's important that we think about the people who don't know Jesus yet and what it is that shapes their lives so that we can be praying about how Jesus would come alongside them, the way in which Jesus might bring his lenses to their world the way perhaps in which we might pray for them and maybe the way in which we might talk about worry to them from our own experience of God's security. Well, that's it from me for this time. Uh, we've been at the spill at Donaford uh, and my hope is that the sound of the water behind me has been muffled by the microphone that I'm using this time. So water, but not too much watery noise. Anyway, uh, we'll do part four next time. I look forward to catching up with you then. God bless. <laughs>